This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello, I'm Deborah Fitzgerald. Welcome to the Dora County Pulse podcast. And today I'm talking with Annette Langlois Grunseth. Annette is a poet and she's going to be uh, launching her latest book. And the name of that book is Combat in Campus, Writing Through War. Thanks for joining me, Annette. Oh, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. Now, Annette is a member of the Wisconsin Fellowship of Poets. She's also a member of the Dora County Poets Collective. Her prior chapbook is called Becoming Transparent, One Family's Journey of Gender Transition. And that book was nominated for a Pushcart Prize in Poetry. Congratulations on that nomination. Oh, thank you so much. And also from the a nomination from the Midland Authors Poetry Prize. Um, she's published in numerous publications uh, in Wisconsin People and Ideas and including Wisconsin Academy Review. Um, so, Annette, you uh, live in Green Bay. Yes, I do. Okay. And uh, tell me about first about your Adora County connection. Oh, I've been coming to Door County since I was 10 years old. Really? Um, I grew up in Wausau, and my uh, family, my father was interested in sailing. So when I was 10, we came over here, and he stood on the top of the Eagle Tower bluff and said, next year I'm going to come back with a sailboat, and he did. Hmm. So when I was 11, we started sailing here and driving back and forth on weekends. Okay. And, of course, fell in love with the area. And as I've lived in Green Bay... um, we consider Green Bay to be a suburb of Door County. Oh. <laughs> so we're up here a lot, and I'm connected with the, many of the writers up here. Uh, my poet friends, my mm-hmm. poet sisters, we're all connected. I've taken many writing classes up here and enjoyed getting to know everybody and being part of the Door County Poets Collective. Okay. Um, so let's talk a little bit about combat and campus, writing through war. It's kind of an intriguing title and also a, a, a different type of poetry collection per se. It's not actually just poetry, right? Right. It's um, the poetry part I would call documentary poetry, so docu-poetry. And I use my typical writing style because that's the medium I prefer to work in. But My brother was a journalism major in college, and he had just gotten his degree when he was drafted in 1967. Hmm. So off he went to Vietnam after basic training, and he wrote home letters from Vietnam, and they were very well-written letters. Hmm. And it's something that I'm publishing because it was a promise to my family. Um, Sadly, my brother passed away from an Agent Orange-related cancer in Hmm. 2004, and he never really wanted to revisit and go back and publish the letters. I encouraged him many times, and he just had a very traumatic experience in war Hmm. and really wanted to put it behind him. And my parents kept the letters in a safe deposit box at the bank Mm -hmm. for 50 years, and I knew they were always there. I had read the letters many times. I shared them with our children when they were finishing high school. And my mother had said, well, I just would love to have those letters be published in a book. 
you know, it was her dying wish. So I'm really fulfilling a family wish to have this book published. Mm. And I felt it was really important because my brother, when he came back, was not recognized as a veteran. The Vietnam veterans were really shunned mm. and and almost tortured. Um, when he came back, he went back to UW-Madison to school, and he had people shouting terrible things to him, and somebody even actually spit on him. And I, I feel that um, publishing the book now, it's been 50 years, it's important to honor our Vietnam veterans. Mm-hmm. So I do it to honor my brother and to honor all veterans out there who were not properly welcomed home. Mm. And, and that war is unlike other wars in that they were re-traumatized, if you will, once they came back. And oh, absolutely. It was this, so this is a very personal collection. Yes, it is. It's a, it's a firsthand personal collection of letters. My brother wrote very um, specific and graphic letters about uh, specific battles that he was in. And then some of his feelings about uh, that war. And mm-hmm. there was a lot of turmoil going on in our country at the same time with anti-war protests. And we had some uh, Martin Luther King Jr. had been assassinated. We had a Democratic National Convention where there were anti-war protesters that summer of 1968 when he was leaving for Vietnam was one of protests for equal rights, for um, you know peace, mm-hmm. and it was make love, not war. And he was going off into that uh, mess of the jungle. Mm-hmm. And I was going off to my freshman year at Madison. Mm-hmm. And I walked right into bayonets and tear gas on campus. Mm-hmm. So the time period that this book covers, uh, when did he first start writing these letters? And what's the latest letter that you include in here? Well, he started writing with his basic training. And that was in 1967, in the fall when he went. And he wrote several letters home there. It's a collection of 36 letters. And then he wrote pretty often throughout the year that he was in Vietnam. He landed there the day before his 23rd birthday. Hmm. And that was July 18th, 1968. And he came home um, July 18th, 1969. So hmm. he was there for a year. And that's the time period of the letters. Okay. Um, The time period that I'm writing, I did some correspondence with him that's included in the book. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I included the years after, because when he came home, he was traumatized. He was able to have a family and move on. He wanted to put it behind him. But then as he acquired um, a very rare cancer that was related to Agent Orange exposure, it took 15 years of treatment, and it slowly wore him down. And I guess it was my way of dealing with the years after. Mm-hmm. I started writing poetry. For me, it was to put some closure, some sense to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I miss him every day. Mm. He's gone. He left behind um, children. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm just, um, I wrote about the years after mm-hmm. and what happened. And then really through some of dealing with the grief of his death. How long ago did he pass away? It was in 2004. 2004. And, and so then in between um, these, uh, the correspondence, the letters, you have poems. 
And how did you shape those poems? Are they kind of like interludes in between the correspondence? How, how does this operate as a structure? Well, I just started writing poems, things that were uh, needling me in the back of my mind. And then I started seeing that there was a structure to it. Mm. I thought about how we grew up as children and boys. In, when I was growing up in the late 1950s and early 1960s, Boys played war and girls played house. Mm -hmm. We were kind of stereotyped. And it was his playing war that more or less prepared him for going to war. Mm -hmm. And also having been in Boy Scouts where he learned survival techniques, I do believe that saved him. He had some very close calls mm. while in Vietnam. And I think some of his survival skills helped him. Okay. So in one of those, um, this is a really nice segue because... One of the poems in the book is called Pears, P-E-A-R-S. And I think that is speaking to what you're talking about, how you grew up together in the house, um, but one as a boy, one as a girl. And so you were taught really different things or prepared for different futures. And I think he sometimes as my big brother mm -hmm. resented that because he would say, well, you have it easier because you're a girl. <laughs> Even when he was going out. We all out heard of, that from our big brothers. <laughs> I think so. And he'd go out as a teenager and, and do something that he shouldn't. And my parents would be upset, but they wouldn't be upset with me. But I was five years younger and, mm -hmm. and I'm watching this and thinking, well, I'm going to be good. <laughs> well, I'm going to read this pairs just to, to give okay. listeners um, a, a taste of, of the poetry in the book. But the letters really are um, quite, quite concrete, you know, very graphic of the experience that is happening, you know, to him over there and before he actually mm -hmm. leaves. So this is pairs. Growing up in the shadow of World War II, my brother grabs a pear from the green stamp fruit bowl, pulls the stem out with his teeth, pretends to throw it, making hand grenade blasting sounds. He arranges green army men on the floor for attack and retreat, plays war games in a foxhole dug into the empty lot next door. As a Boy Scout, he learned survival, camping out on weekend bivouacs. With Dad, he hunts pheasant, partridge, and sometimes deer. He becomes a good shot. Like his father, uncle, and grandfather, he grows up to serve in the military. His draft number comes up at college graduation, 1967. After basic training, he flies off to Vietnam, barely prepared. He writes home of government-issue weapons that jam. They have no rain gear for monsoon season. My parents buy a rain suit and mail it to him. His letters tell of living in a track as they sweep the jungle, roll through rice paddies, dodging snipers and ambushes. Scouting and hunting skills keep him alive in that jungle. His graphic letters detail how a bursting mortar sprays a buddy's brains across his helmet. He tells me, you have it easy because you're a girl. You weren't forced into war or that kind of fear. Maybe I have it easier, but whenever I eat a pear, I feel his burden. My guilt ignites as the taste of pear explodes in my mouth. So that pretty much speaks to... Yes, that's, I do feel guilty about it. Um, hmm. 
Mm. And I have, uh, I still, whenever I uh, eat a pear, I think of my brother pulling that stem out with mm-hmm. his teeth. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's something that girls were not trained to do. Right. At so, the time. Right. So tell me a little about uh, your evolution as a poet. So where did you, where did this all come from? Well, I basically came from a writing family. Hmm. My dad uh, was a writer, and he was a radio script writer. Okay. And then he was an outdoor writer. Oh. And he worked, um, he had his own business, but he had worked with a lot of advertising and marketing. And then my brother was a journalism major, and... Mm-hmm. And so I kind of followed the same path and did communication arts, um, radio, TV, film when I was in college. And then I moved on to working in public relations and uh, spent most of my career in healthcare marketing and public relations. So I've always been writing. And Mm -hmm. um, I guess it was, I took a, a trip in 1987 in my late 30s and it moved me, and I just started writing poetry. When mm-hmm. I saw something, it was like it had to come out. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like it, poetry found me, and I'm just answering the call of my muse. Okay. And so you've been writing ever since then? I have. And um, I think a friend of mine handed me a Wisconsin Fellowship of Poets calendar and said, you know, you should be in this. And I go, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I... Uh, I submitted, mm-hmm. and I've been uh, submitting ever since, and then, of course, got involved and active with the Wisconsin Fellowship of Poets, and we have a very active group in Wisconsin, mm. lots of members and wonderful writers So mm. it's um, uh, and poets, so I guess um, that's where I've been. So okay. I couldn't help but writing. I took a few classes, and uh, it just comes out. So then you have been publishing since your late 30s? I have. Okay. So it has been a, a, almost a lifelong thing for you. It's it is. not it's something you rediscovered or discovered uh, later. No, right. And it's just, it's fun. Mm-hmm. So it's fun to have an idea. And if something needles me, I just have to put it down on paper. And then I start playing with words. Mm-hmm. And the real fun comes in the editing uh. <laughs> to see if I can make it better and find new words and then talk with other poets. And mm-hmm. uh, it's a great a great hobby that's uh, become kind of an evocation and vocation. Sure. And so how do your poems come to you? Oh, it. I have to have some space. Um, if I'm busy, 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 I don't have a lot of time for things to come to me. But a lot of times when I'm kayaking, I keep my phone with me in a, in a drive bag, mm. and I often write poetry on the um, notepad in my phone. Okay. So if I'm out and see things or if I read something in the newspaper and it goes, oh, that really, that really strikes to my core, Mm -hmm. then I'm going to write about it. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it might be a long time before I write about it. Other times it might just roll out. Mm. It it just depends what it is. So it's kind of interesting um, how uh, you need to not be preoccupied um, in order to be able to hear the muse. That's what it sounds right. like. Okay. Um, pretty often I ride a bike trail, and the other day I saw two girls riding, and they had their dolls with them on their bikes, and I was following them, and they were so adorable. And they were talking, and one had her doll on the handlebars, and the other one had her doll in a little little carrier in the back. So when I got home, I wrote a poem it's not finished yet, but it's called Doll's Day Out. Hmm. And it just like, okay, that struck me, that mm-hmm. moment that I saw. Mm-hmm. Or if I see something in nature or, um, again, thinking about 
pears when I was growing up. Sure. Or some of the other things. Um, I'm just thinking some of the other poems. There were uh, there was one about when I was a child growing up that I did playing games at night, and and so I thought I thought about that for a long time, and then decided to write the poem. Okay, so they come from present and past as well. Is are, are there recurring subject matters in your in your poetry more than other things? Oh, it depends. Uh, I have a lot of childhood memories that mm-hmm. that comes out in poetry, but I'm thinking like um, when there's something going on in our world that needs attention, like human rights. Mm-hmm. Um, when our daughter transitioned, um, when we had a gender transition in our family, mm-hmm. there were things that I thought people need to know what this is like and how it affects a family and what are some of the issues. So mm-hmm. the issues that I heard in the news. And I put a personal twist to it. So mm-hmm. maybe it was what it's like to go to the doctor, what it's like to go out in public when you're transitioning, mm-hmm. or what it's like to use a bathroom, and all of those issues that I was hearing in the news. Hmm. So these are deeply personal then. Your previous chapbook as well c- derives directly from your experience. And, and again, that was called Becoming Transparent, One Family's Journey of Gender Transition. So you're not describing in prose what is what that transition is like. You are, it is a collection of poetry that describes that experience. Correct. And that's because I think I feel most comfortable writing in poetry. Mm-hmm. And again, it might be narrative poetry or docu-poetry. Sure. Um, I know that the Becoming Transparent book has been used by families and for people, other people transitioning, that they'll say, here, this is what it's like. I mm-hmm. want people to experience what it's like. Mm-hmm. What are some of the issues? So uh, with that book coming out, people would that are transitioning would hand it to their family members and say, here, read this, because I'm having a hard time telling you how I feel inside. But Mm -hmm. I told how we felt. Mm -hmm. And it's opening up. I'm opening up my life. And I have these moments just before a publication. I go, oh, my gosh, what am I doing here? (laughs) Right. They're so deeply personal. So this is from the perspective of the parents, correct? Correct. Okay. And that's probably not something that parents don't have a a large uh, library of literature they can go to on that topic, I would imagine. Well, back in 2017, when I published that, there wasn't much out there because I was looking for, oh, where can I learn more? And I Mm -hmm. thought, oh, there wasn't. Well, now more information is out and more literature, but still it's something that it puts you in that personal place. And mm-hmm. I think that's what poetry does. Mm-hmm. It puts you in a personal place. Um, and I think of combat um, and campus, it's the same thing. It's a first-person war history because it's how deeply personally war shapes families, shaped mm-hmm. our family. Now, how do you have a routine for writing your poetry? Oh, well, it's it's when the muse like shakes me awake. Mm-hmm. So it might be quite often upon waking in the morning when you're in that sort of half dream state mm-hmm. where I'll have a line or something coming through. And pretty often I may just get up in the morning and go right to the computer. Mm. And I don't even think about breakfast. I'm not even hungry. I want to get these words on the paper. So I'm probably doing that more in the morning. Um, I'll leave it up on the screen and then edit and go back to it during the day. Mm -hmm. And then again, if I'm out doing something uh, where you uh, have time to think, Mm -hmm. so on the walking trail, bike trail, kayaking, 
thoughts go through my head, what's been on my mind lately, and then I'm filling the well getting some ideas. But probably early morning is when my best writing time occurs. And you talk about the editing process, which any writer knows is is probably 95% of the writing process. But maybe people don't know that with poetry, it's the same thing. They might think that, no, the poem springs fully born onto the page, and so I'm not supposed to touch it. Can you talk a little bit about that editing process and when you know to leave the poem alone versus changing the words? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, well, the fun is finessing it because I'll look at some words. I get the words down and I go back and think, well, how can I make that better? How can I make that word better? Can I come up with a different image that's better? Is there a metaphor that I'm missing here? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like doing a puzzle. It's it's really fun. And some people feel like, oh, editing, you know, it's <laughs> so hard. But uh, it, that's really, uh, at first I thought I didn't like editing, but as I got into, you know, decades later, I'm going, oh, well, that's the fun mm-hmm. to see if I can make it better. Right. So now with Combat in Campus, Writing Through War, you are going, tell me where you're going, people can actually hear you reading from this book. Okay. There will be a book launch with Right on Door County on Monday, May 17th at 7 p.m., you can go to the Right on Door County website and go to the calendar, May 17th, click on the title of my book and register for it, and you'll receive a Zoom link. And then on May 22nd, I'm going to be doing an in-person reading at Lion's Mouth Bookstore in Green Bay. It'll be their first in-person event since the pandemic, and it's going to be held outdoors mm-hmm. on City Deck. Okay. That's and that'll be from uh, 11 a.m. till 1 p.m. on May 22nd. Okay. Now people can find uh, Combat in Canvas writing through war on uh, Amazon or where can they find this book? Uh, right now it's on my website. Oh, and okay. At and I'm offering a little discount okay. at the moment. It's also with my publisher, Elm Grove Press okay. from Mystic, Connecticut, okay. Old Mystic, Connecticut. And that's at elmgrovepress.org. Okay. It's going to be at Novel Bay Bookstore and in Sturgeon Bay and also at Lion's Mouth Bookstore in Green Bay. Okay. And also Amazon. Okay. So now this is, um, the the previous publication was a chapbook. Can you describe the difference between a chapbook and a book? Okay. Well, a chapbook, the history goes back to in England when people wanted to get their work published. They would do a cheap book, a small book, mm-hmm. and try to get their work out. So it's usually a smaller work, um, probably... Well, it can vary depending on the rules of of different publishers. Mm-hmm. I think mine ran about 30, 32 pages for a chapbook. And a full-length book is going to be longer than that. Sure. Um, and this, uh, the Combat and Campus is is uh, 180 pages. So, of course, that's a full-length book. And it has prose as well as poetry in it. Now, you did not self-publish this? Well, it is through a publisher, Elm Grove Press, in, okay. in Mystic, Connecticut. And there's an interesting story there. Okay. Um, my brother had uh, very much admired a commanding officer he had in Vietnam. And sadly, he was killed. And actually, he was killed on May 17th. So the publishing date of the book is the date of his commanding officer's death. Mm-hmm. And so I, when I was writing the book, I thought, I'm just going to Google, because he thought so highly of this, I'm going to Google Captain David Crocker's name. Mm-hmm. So I did, and when I did, up popped 
his wife, Ruth Cracker. And it turns out that um, she's an author and a publisher. Oh. So uh, I connected with her on email, Mm -hmm. and she wrote back right away. And then we went back and forth probably over a year, and I wasn't sure. I was trying other publishers. I had sent this other places, and I had another place interested, and we went back and forth. And she said, well, you know, I really, I, you know, I'd like to publish your book. Mm-hmm. So we started doing that, and she got me involved with the Military Writers Society of America oh. and some other things. And because of this, we've become friends and oh. a very deep connection because... Her husband and my brother were in the same horrible experience together, mm-hmm. and my brother came home, and her husband did not. So I, it just uh, serendipitous. So, so much chance, and mm-hmm. there were so many close calls mm-hmm. that my brother had, and yet this shaped her life, and it shaped my life. Mm-hmm. And she has gone on to publish other books and connect with other. Uh, veterans' families and um, Gold Star Wives and other people like that. So I'm very grateful for Elm Grove Press. Sure. And and so this is, but this is not self-published. No. Right, right. To, to make that distinction. Right. It makes it pretty easy to, to get your work out there when um, there are a lot of self-publishing houses. But this is actually a published by a, a, a publisher. Right. And, okay. Yes. And... Um, my other book was published, uh, the Becoming Transparent book was published by Finishing Line Press. Okay. All right. Well, again, um, you can hear and see uh, in person, actually, Annette Langlois Grunseth, um, who is uh, launching her latest book, which is Combat in Canvas, Writing Through War. Thank you so much for being with us, Annette. Oh, thank you for having me. This was delightful. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.